Well, hi there. Welcome to Astronomica, a recap. Uh, we forgot to do a little bit of a intro here for you guys, so this is me, Kristen, who plays Dr. Kildegard Hypatia Cade, uh, giving you the skivvy on what's up. This is a short rundown of everything that we did on Procea Moors. So if you just like to hear things again to know where you are, we've got you covered. If you're joining us um, as a new listener and that backlog looked really intimidating, Welcome to what we did for the last, I don't know, 30 episodes. Uh, we hope you enjoy and get a laugh out of it and also get some idea of what happened on Chrissia Moors so that you know what we're referencing for the future. The curtain rises some months after the catastrophic events on the Glazer system. We find our friends high above the fog-shrouded sands of Crucia Moors, aboard the sumptuous aerostat station known as the Flooded Palace. Where we all, to all appearances, honored guests of the great Sultan Staz Romero, and grow accustomed in our various ways to the benefits of that potentate's favor. The Grace takes advantage of the services of the Flooded Palace's skilled technicians to enjoy a full overhaul and refit, while the rest of us grow fat and sated from the many fine confections offered up by a new friend, Nikki, a jovial assistant baker and reluctant child of destiny. Spoilers. At long last, the Sultan gets around to telling us what we can do for him. He tugs on Anton's coat about flying escort for a water delivery to some of his people down on the surface. And the rest of us decide to tag along on the water shuttle just to get a break from the monotony and get an up-close gander at the planet's surface. What we find down there is legally distinct. I cannot emphasize that enough, but still reminiscent of the kind of stuff you'd see in an old Earth flick about post-apocalyptic road warriors traversing a barren and wasted world in their makeshift war machines. They call themselves the Mongos, and while they are unassailably badass in their convoys of armored death wagons, they are still, from the right angle, kind of on the bad end of a never-ending raw deal. They follow the aerostat stations at ground level, hoping to catch what little moisture falls from on high, and harvest gasoline, which they will trade to the Sky Lords in exchange for occasional deliveries of water, like the one we found ourselves on. But, plot twist! We arrive to find that the proposed trade has already gone pear-shaped. The Mongo convoy was raided by a little understood group of marauding and possibly mutated desert weirdos known as the Goonies who successfully made off with the Sultan's precious fuel. The crew of the Grace, never being ones to bat aside a gift-wrapped call to adventure, <laughs> tell the Mongos that if we can borrow one of their death wagons, we'll go and meet the Goonies on their turf and get their shit back for them. A bitchin' death wagon is promptly preferred, complete with a crow's nest, a sick-ass desert warrior lady, and the Commodore's greatest hits. <laughs> it's all aboard time, and we race into the toxic desert on the trail of the Sultan's property like the good little pawns I'm starting to wonder if we are. <laughs> as we cross the trackless and eerie desert bound for the Goonies' home turf, a mysterious place known as the Silver City, we encounter a number of oddities and dangers, until, nearing our destination, Ambuscada, <laughs> a sniper's bullet attempts to puncture our gas tank and bring a premature end to our adventure. As we engage in evasive maneuvers, we get our first look at the Goonies themselves. A bunch of oversized, hairless, jello-y fuckers attempted to send on our death wagon in a, a sort of glider. It's touch and go for a minute, but we end up on top, shredding them in the air as they close on us. 
The sniper, who drone footage reveals to be just a boring old human being, is laid low by means of a stern talking to by Dr. Cade and delivered via the self-same drone's loudspeaker. As he descends from his perch and approaches our wagon, Hopper jumps to the perfectly reasonable conclusion that the person who we ought to be interrogating by means of a body autonomy violating forced application of a pretech truth drug is our Mongo warrior pal Brilliana. This results in the revelation that she was actually cool all along and will, I'm sure, lead to no negative consequences for anybody anywhere down the road. The sniper himself is one Philbert Bashy, an agent of an organization called DRAM, Discounts, Repairs, and Medicine, that represent true humanitarian motives, but in kind of a funhouse mirror way that involves way more bombs and sniper rifles than you might expect. He reveals that he sees us and the Mongols as just a bunch of tools of a, the corrupt sultanate, and thus the natural foes of liberty and equality on Crucia Moors. The charge is awkwardly hard to refute. Fortunately, we're all citizens of the galaxy and versed in the customs and ways of the vast human diaspora. So we do the logical thing and make Anton fight him until he agrees to just chill the fuck out and bear with us for a second until we get a handle on what is actually going on on this kooky fucking planet. With the assistance of our new guide, the Mr. Bassi from DRAM, we discussed several methods of approaching the Silver City. In case you've forgotten, the Silver City is the name of the place that the Goonies hole up, uh, according to the Mongos. I mean, these names, really? This is what these people call themselves? I mean, I feel like I'm saying something I really shouldn't be saying, but okay. <sighs> it was, of course, apparent that my linguistic skills would be vital in avoiding further violence, and so I took charge of an advanced delegation consisting of Mr. Bashi, Big Nicky, and myself. This delegation was charged with dual goals, recognizance of the Silver City and surrounds, and, if possible, to engage the so-called Goonies in some form of communication. I must admit that I was wholly excited by the prospect of interacting with these strange entities. It seems that no one has ever been able to converse with the Goonies, and that I may in fact be the first. I was so interested in making this first meaningful contact that I completely forgot about our ostensible mission to locate the Mongo's fuel tanker. I had every confidence that my compatriots could handle such a mundane task without my insistence. I do seem to remember that Mr. Anton managed to fall into a hole and nearly impale himself while dealing with the tanker, but my focus was better suited to the linguistic study at hand. And what a wondrous study it was! I first tried communicating with simple hand gestures, but quickly realized that this was futile. I was considering my next approach when the most remarkable thing occurred. The goonie which I had engaged placed an appendage atop my head and began to extend one of its digits into my orbital cavity. The sensation was odd, but did not seem to be hostile, and so I allowed the entity to continue until it connected with my ocular nerve. And then, Eureka! Just as I hypothesized, the Goonies were in fact capable of complex communication, albeit through direct sharing of visual and emotional impressions rather than standard humanoid vocalizations. I was so overcome with my discovery that I failed to apprehend Mr. Bashi before he could disappear into the so-called Silver City. Oh, yes, we also discovered that the Silver City was in fact the ruin of a pre-tech aerostat station similar to Sultan Romero's own flooded palace. At this point, I reluctantly pulled myself away from my studies to join the rest of the crew in following Mr. Bashi into the station. 
We eventually caught up with the rather frustrating drama operative, and I explained to him the importance of deferring to our own more reasonable approach. Having discovered that the Goonies were primarily motivated by their luck of water, we felt it was unfair to leave them without aid. After an intense discussion, taking into account local power dynamics, the vagaries of geopolitical conflicts throughout history, and our own feelings about economic disparities, we concluded that there was only one appropriate course of action. Overthrow Sultan Romero and turn the flooded palace over to a shared delegation of the Mongols and the Goonies. Mr. Anton volunteered to return the fuel tanker to the Mongols and hopefully convince them to join our revolt. Unfortunately, he would be out of communication range for the extent of his brief mission. Really, though, what could go wrong? Even Mr. Anton could avoid almost destroying the death bag while driving it through a seismographic event. And we were certain that Briliana would harbor no ill will for the squeal patch incident. So of course she could be trusted not to attempt any sort of attack on Mr. Anton while the rest of us were too far away to render aid. Yes, the real work would be done by those of us who remained behind. I personally devoted my time to building a shared lexicon with the Goonies. If you are interested in a detailed description of my findings, I will direct you to my upcoming publication in the <laughs> Journal of Neurolinguistics and Mimetics. I can tell you that the experience was wholly life-changing and that my time with the Goonies has transformed me in ways I never could have imagined. But my discoveries were not the only revelations to be found at the Silver City. A jovial companion, Big Nicky, seems to have found evidence that one of their ancestors was the original leader for the whole of Crocia Moors. Unfortunately, it seems that our flowery friend is persistent in ignoring their ties beyond their sultan's palace. Then things got exciting, as after a mishap with the death wagon and some tectonic shenanigans, I ran into our old friend Sergei Wright, who informed me of my imminent demise at the hands of Bridget Sakamoto and her crew of space punk flunkies. The rest of the gang continued to investigate the Silver City. Mackie nearly zapped himself to death with a totally enigmatic piece of zappy security tech and made some new robot friends. Opera was, of course, devastated. We discovered the Goonies' gooey origins, and Nikki learned about their own ancestry from Hugh Mongo, an aerostat captain and presumed progenitor of the Mongo nomads. Ildiles should get weird with tendrils and eye sockets, but in the pursuit of knowledge, so it was totally cool and not weird at all. Filbert, our dram homie and general weirdo, continued to be a weirdo, but with a helicopter and an inclination to join us on our mission of political upheaval. I had a crisis of conscience about the whole space savior thing, and I tried to talk to our resident nomad, Brianna, about it. Then a little later, she tried to stab me, which is about on track with me and women. <laughs> then the fateful meeting occurs. The gang gets back together at the Mongol camp just in time to meet Bridget and her crew in Nerdowells. We try to talk things out, well, Ildi does as I prepare for inevitable violence, until a well-timed hinge person explosion kicks things off with a bang. Bats are swung, people are shot, and a shuttle gets exploded. Once the dust settles, we realize that us and the Mongols are largely intact, and begin to prepare for revolution. Having secured the revolutionary cooperation of the surface-dwelling Mongols and Goonies, Team Meatbag trundles into a shuttle to ascend to the flooded palace, looming above the wasted plains of the desert planet, and distribute the blessings of violent, sorry, liberty to all. Since everyone is desperate to know the names of the NPCs who will feature so prominently in the course of action, I will list them. They are the human mongos, Manhala, Paulina, Goo, Vihan, Angelus, Sylvain, Tiberia, and Adesina, as well as the no longer human, Goonies, Sultan, and Heimdall.
And of course, the three not at all human janitor bots, Huey, Dewey, and Zeppo. Just as the shuttle lands in the hangar, whoever is controlling the aerostat station tries turning it 45 degrees. Grace goes sliding toward the open hangar door, but her aft section is thicker than a bowl of oatmeal, and she slides to a halt at the edge. Someone apparently thought it was a good idea to upload a spam bot originally designed to sell genital-enhancing pills and addictive poisons into the station-controlling system. It was not a good idea. It was a great idea. <laughs> Legendary ad pitchman and coxswain Nolan Ryan P. Jr. has metastasized through every wire and chip on the station. Holding the lives of everyone on board the vessel, subject to his every whim, has caused him to go mad with power, a sensation which from experience fades after approximately 27 hours but never entirely goes away. The way is made mostly clear for the meatbags, who for some reason seem practiced at cajoling an amoral and untethered virtual intelligence into helping them. Mackie's prodigious brain and dexterous hands turn to the task of fixing Grace, assisted by Hopper, and soon she is ready to take to the skies, rejoining Anton in his fighter. Anton attempts to negotiate a diplomatic solution with the weapon emplacements aboard the station, and later with a pair of shuttles that fly over from a neighboring station. His rational but impassioned arguments, proceeding soundly from reasonable premises, convince the opponents to turn into smoldering piles of wreckage, assisted by Grace's rhetorical use of the armor-piercing multifocal laser. Inside the flooded palace, Hildy, Big Nicky, Mackie, and the NPCs ascend the elevator to the executive floor, where a party of guards is waiting outside of the Sultan's chambers. Are you wondering if I would read the list of NPCs here as well? I thought I might, but then I thought that the joke was overplayed, so I will forego reciting the list of their names. Said list comprising the Mongos, Manhela, Paulina, Goo, Vihan, Angelus, Sylvain, Tiberia, and Adesina, as well as the Goonies, Sultan, and Heimdall, and the three janitor bots, Huey, Dewey, and Zeppo. The crew of the Grace exits the elevator, and the guards share their recipe for salsa with the crew. <laughs> Ingredients. One elevator, a half dozen NPCs who forgot to step out of the elevator, and a hand grenade. Pull pin, combine, and wait three seconds. The crew makes short work of the guards and makes their way to the Sultan's inner sanctum. Hildy makes a rousing speech denouncing the cowardice of the Sultan, who bravely reveals himself to have been hiding in the crowd in disguise. Mackie wrangles the most ferocious opponent the crew has yet withstood, a duck-peacock hybrid known as a ducock, amazingly triumphing with only the loss of an eye to the foul foul. <laughs> Hildy makes a discovery. The Sultan's body double on the throne has been strapped to an explosive with a quite literal dead man's switch. Grace wedges her nose through the balcony doors and delivers Anton and Hopper to add to the body count. Sorry, assist with the defusal. Big Nicky takes hold of the deposed former ruler and leads the remaining civilians out of the chamber. Anton assists Mackie with the mechanism of the trigger. Hildy uses her normal soothing chill vibe to keep the Sultan's stand-in from freaking out and blowing everyone up. And Hopper dispenses pearls of wisdom and also ability-enhancing combat pharmaceuticals. The bomb is successfully diffused, and the day is saved. Breaking a streak, the crew of the Grace manages not to provoke either a nuclear war or a deorbiting habitat or some sort of conflagration, 
and sets the stage for a smooth and no doubt permanent transition to democracy and prosperity on the resource-starved wasteland of Crocia Moors. Hildy reveals that she has decided to stay on the planet in order to study the Goonies, because they have apparently not transmogrified her quite enough, and so the crew bids her farewell. Big Nicky also has sourdough starter to start, and popovers to popover, and lady fingers to finger, and so... <laughs> and so they also say goodbye to Big Nicky, as well as all-time champion guest star Katrina, and Jeff definitely doesn't cry at all, not even a little bit when no one is looking. <laughs> Newly refitted, restocked, and recalcitrant, the crew takes the grace to the edge of the system, and they leap forward toward new stars and new adventure. <laughs>